This podcast may contain paid advertisements, but more on that later. Welcome to the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast, where I discuss the nuts and bolts of business and leadership, with a focus on bootstrapping a business from the ground up. This podcast is for all entrepreneurs, bootstrappers, and leaders in all walks of life. My goal is to help you grow both personally and professionally. I am your host, Isaiah O'Connor. Okay, long one today, so just a quick shout out to our sponsor, audible.com, wonderful place to learn about business on the fly, you can listen as you go. The book I recommend today is The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. It helps you figure out your money and stop living from paycheck to paycheck and start getting ahead so that you can not be so stressed, so you can have some peace in your life with money. It's an amazing book. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of the top books I will recommend, especially for private people. But it's great for business because it teaches you how to live your life debt-free. And if you've listened to me any time at all, you'll know that I think that debt is very dangerous and adds too much risk. Go check it out, The Total Money Makeover, over at audible.com. And you can get a free copy by using my code and getting a free 30-day trial over at audible.com forward slash bootstrap with a capital B. That's audible.com forward slash bootstrap with a capital B. 30-day free trial, you get one free book that you keep forever, two free Audible originals that you also keep forever, and you get to listen to Audible's listening collection, streaming collection that you can listen to for the entire 30 days. After the 30 days, it's only $14.95 a month after that, or if you cancel, you can cancel at any time, and you still keep the audiobook and the two Audible originals forever. Now, let's dive into this. Today is titled Minimum Wage, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, there's been a current push in Congress to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour in the U.S., the entire federal minimum wage, from $7.25, I think it was, up to $15 an hour. So let's jump into why I think that there's some good in that, but there's a lot of bad in that, and something very, very ugly lying underneath that. Now, before I start, I do want to thank you for listening. I do appreciate you guys. I do hope you find value in my content. I hope that if you feel like I'm doing a good job, that you share this with your friends and family. That you can go check out, check us out on iTunes, leave a nice comment, give us a five-star rating. That really helps us out. And I am very, very thankful for you guys who listen consistently. It really is encouraging that I'm not just sitting and talking at my computer for no reason. So I'm very happy with you guys. Go check. So thank you very much. So let's jump into this. When did the minimum wage come into effect? Um, all that stuff. Now, before I jump into that, know this, that minimum wage is a political idea. And it's very embroiled in politics. Now. I think because minimum wage directly affects small business and business in general, 
this is fair game. This is not a political episode in that sense. Now, I'm going to try to leave the overall politics out of it. I'm going to try to leave out political parties, politicians. I'm only going to stick to the actual data. And as I've looked at this subject, it seems like the debate is rooted more in emotions than actual data. Because emotionally, it feels good to think about providing people a minimum wage to live off. That feels emotionally good. But does that work? Does it not work? There's a point, there's a no point. Let's focus on the data, because data is the most important thing when you look at anything. You gotta look at the data. Not not the intentions behind it, not good intentions, but what does the actual effect occur? What's the data? What does the data say? That's most important. And there's some other things in there that you need to look at and understand about minimum wage. Now let's jump into this. The minimum wage has only been around for about 83 years. That's not that long, all, to, all told. I mean, there are people alive today that were alive before minimum wage was institutionalized in the United States. When minimum wage came up, an idea was about 100 years ago, roughly. 1910s, 19, 1911, 1912, 1913. That's when this idea started being really pushed and promoted and growing. And the national minimum wage was in 1938. That's when they set it as a nationalized thing for the entirety of the United States. So that's crazy. It's a fairly new idea. And what was the given reason for minimum wage? Well, was to eliminate poverty by, quote, unquote, providing a living wage so people would not have to live in poverty. And often proponents will bring up that we need to pay people a living wage so that when you have a single mom working a minimum wage job, she'll have enough money to raise her kids and feed her family. And that sounds very, very noble and very, very good. But is that what's really happening? What's going on here? Is that a good thing to help them? Will that help people? Will it hurt people? What, what, what's the deal? Let's, let's take a look at it. First, let's look at a few stats. And these stats are from Heritage.org. Most workers who earn minimum wage or less fall into two categories. Young workers, usually in school, and older workers who have left school. The majority of minimum wage earners fall into the first category. 53% of those earning 515 or less per hour are between the ages of 16 and 24. Tell this a little bit older data, but I think it should be fairly analogous to current situation. The remainder are 25 years of age or older. Minimum wage workers under 25 are typically not their family's sole breadwinner. Rather, they live in middle-class households that do not rely on their earnings. For the most part, they have not finished their schooling and are working part-time jobs. These workers represent the largest group that would directly benefit from a higher minimum wage. And here are a few more characteristics of the teenagers and young adults who earn the minimum wage or less. Fully 67% work part-time jobs. Their average family income is $64,000 a year. Only 17% live at or below the poverty line, while 65% enjoy family incomes over twice the poverty line. They have less education than the population as a whole. Fully 36% have not completed high school, and 21% have only a high school degree. 
Another 37% have taken college courses but do not yet have a bachelor's degree. Many of these are college students working part-time while in school. Fully 65% are women. Only 5% are married. Older workers. Even the vast majority of older adults who earn the minimum wage live above the poverty line. They have an average family income of $33,600 a year, well above the poverty line of $19,806 per year for a family of four. Most of them choose to work part-time, and a sizable number are married. The average older minimum wage earner simply does not fit the stereotype of a worker living on the edge of destitution. Here are a few more important characteristics of the 47% of minimum wage earners who are over the age 24. More than half, 56%, work part-time jobs. They have an average family income of $33,606 per year. Just 23% live in poverty, while, 40, just, while 45% have incomes over twice the poverty line. They are better educated than younger minimum wage workers. Just 22% have less than a high school education, while 39% have only a high school diploma and 21% have taken some college classes. 66% are women, 43% are married. Many advocates of a higher minimum wage argue the minimum wage needs to be ra to raise to help the low-income single parent. However, minimum wage workers do not fit the stereotype more than the population as a whole. Just 6.1% of minimum wage workers over the age of 24 are single parents working full-time, compared to 6.3% of all hourly workers. And again, this is data you can go over at heritage.org. Full link will be in the description. Now, other data I've looked at supports that minimum wage does not actually decrease poverty at all. You raise minimum wage, poverty remains the same. People don't become better or worse based on just minimum wage. So, so raising minimum wage just because poverty doesn't work. Low-income people, looks like most low-income people who most people that work jobs, minimum wage jobs, don't really need the money, or it's just a little extra money, or kids working after high school, etc. So let's continue on with some details. Let's start with the, the good. The good about minimum wage. Well, good thing about minimum wage, it's really easy to predict your income on minimum wage. If you know that you're not going to be able to get a good job. You can look at your money. You can look at your finances and say, I'll make minimum wage. Here's minimum wage. I can figure out how much I'll make a week. I can budget that. It's really easy to predict your cost. And then as a company, it's really easy to predict your baseline labor cost based on minimum wage. And that's about all I can say. That's good, sort of. How about minimum wage? I was hard-pressed to find it. All the other quote, good things about minimum wage, I found were highly biased articles online, which were talking about how minimum wage eliminates poverty without actually looking at data. So there's not a lot good about a minimum wage. How about the bad? Let's jump into that. When you run a business and you want to hire employees, labor is your highest cost. And of course, when your highest cost goes up, you need to deal with the higher cost. Now, when your labor goes up, you can do a few things. You can cut hours, 
You can cut benefits, you can cut employees, you can raise prices, or you can do a combination of all of the above. And if you don't do any of those things and you just pay your employees more, you lose money, you lose your profit margin, you might lose your business. And especially if you don't have a lot of margin, especially in restaurant jobs, restaurants run on paper thin margins. Minimum wage hikes can bankrupt you and put you out of business very, very quickly. And this is not a political statement. It's just a statement of fact based on math. But matter of fact, I worked at a pizza hut for a while. And I was talking to the assistant manager. He said, the owner, after taxes, after expenses, after everything else, only made about $10,000 a year from owning a pizza hut. That's it. $10,000 a year. That's below the poverty line. Owning a pizza hut. So you raise the wages of all the employees in Pizza Hut to $15 an hour from their average wage of $8 or $9 an hour, then that will bankrupt that business nearly immediately because they already struggle just to make $10,000 a year. So it's not just, oh, they just have the money. It's a huge corporation. No, they don't. So this guy, by the way, had to own around owned around 10 pizza huts so he was doing okay but you had to own 10 of them just to make a living you have to own 10 restaurants to make a decent living that's crazy now obviously if the wage goes up and you have to start cutting hours and employees you start to hurt the people that you're supposed to help by raising the minimum wage in seattle they wage the minimum wage up to around 15 dollars 16 dollars an hour and the net result was an average of between $75 and $125 a month loss for low-wage employees. You raise the minimum wage and people lose money. So that's not good. And this is just one of the more obvious results of a minimum wage hike. Let's look at the other one. Uh, raising prices contributes to inflation. Now, I've looked at different data, and a small minimum wage hike barely scratches inflation. It bumps it up like 0.63% or something like that. But a massive sp jump in minimum wage can cause a massive spike in inflation and really damage things. That's what happens. If you almost have to double the cost of every one of your employees, then you have to raise prices to compensate or fire employees or cut hours. But if you raise prices to compensate, then Everyone else will have to raise prices, and before you know it, since all the prices go up, then $15 an hour doesn't look like all that much anyway. And then you have to raise the minimum wage again, which will cause you to raise prices again, which will cause you to have to raise minimum wage again in this, just this evil circle that just keeps going and going up and up and up and up and up. So that will result from a especially with a huge jump a small jump not so much a dollar or so no fifth a double yes that, that can cause a huge deal and this will affect restaurants and retail outlets more than anywhere else really badly so not great but again this is still fairly obvious from just looking at it from a sheer mathematical data standpoint now Another fairly highly visible result is when you 
increase the cost of employees, you drive people to find ways to automate processes and eliminate the need for employees altogether. We see this in restaurants, especially fast food places, where you can now go up, order from a screen, show up, pick it up. You see this in grocery stores, self-checkout. More and more automation is coming, and I would not be surprised, especially with COVID, if restaurants come with a way to nearly fully automate the fast food experience. You could have robotic things to fry fries, make burgers very easily, and have only one or two people just monitor the equipment. You could reduce an entire restaurant down to one or two employees fairly quickly. And the higher wage could push this type of development very, very quickly. So, yeah, we've seen this before on farms. Raise minimum wage, get rid of the farm workers, increase automation, it's cheaper, cost jobs. So, again, this is something people don't think about. You raise the cost of employees, well, they're going to be replaced with robots of some sort, automation of some sort. Not good. Another thing is a minimum wage, especially minimum wages that don't have automatic increases to match inflation, suppress wage growth. Now, let me explain this a little bit. If if you have a wage of, say, $7.25 an hour, minimum wage, and that's all you're doing, minimum wage. If inflation goes up, cost of living goes up, and that's all you have to pay as a business, you're not going to raise, in, you're not going to raise your wages to keep up with inflation because you don't have to. You are allowed to not pay as much with minimum wage because it's just the minimum and you pay that and then you're, you're fine. You don't have to increase it. Now, that's kind of bad and it holds the wages low. Another way, reason, way it holds down the wages is it cuts out the whole supply and demand factor. If everyone's paying the exact same minimum wage, then there's no competition. There's no drive to increase raise wages. For example, if there was no minimum wage and you had to get people to come work for you, you would have to pay them an attractive competitive wage. Because if you didn't, they would go somewhere else where someone else did pay them an attractive higher wage. And if you're competing with the guy next to you and you need employees, well, you're going to raise your wages to act, match or exceed the other person's wages to bring in more employees. And if they want to get more employees, they're going to have to raise their wages as well. And this will work to increase the wage, and this will increase much faster than when the government gets involved. Government gets involved, it does what government does best and slows down everything, gums up the works. Get rid of government, wage can grow naturally quicker because people have to compete to pe get people into the job market. Pretty simple. At fixed price, no competition, the price stays down. If the government said gas prices, just say, we wish this would happen, right? Gas prices could be $1 per gallon, period. You could not exceed that price. Well, what if the cost of gas was to make the gas was $2, $3, $4? $4. But you could only do maximum $1? The price would never raise. No competition. No, that's a bad example. But you kind of get where I'm going with this, where... 
if you set a fixed price, that price will not raise naturally with the cost. So yeah, you get what I'm doing there. So that's an, another unintended consequence that raising minimum wage or having a minimum wage at all locks wages into a low state and they don't go up because why would they? You don't have to. So that's kind of the thing that people don't see that a minimum wage and raising minimum wage doesn't do. Matter of fact, part of the reason they want to jump the minimum wage so high is it hasn't kept up with inflation and they go, oh no, people can't live off of $15 an hour. Not that they really do live off of it, but because it doesn't keep pace with inflation because there's no competition. You don't have to try to attract employees. You can just pay the minimum and get away with it. So, yeah, keeps down wages, keeps down wage growth, and it's not good. Now, another consequence is when you increase the minimum wage, you also increase the amount of unskilled workers who enter the workforce. If you need to pay more money for your employee, you're likely to try to hire somebody that already has some experience, that was already somewhat competent for the job, because you need to be as productive as possible as soon as possible. And this can have a actually a really negative effect on youth as they have no place to learn how to work. And this can really affect their work ethic later in life. And this is just anecdotal. It's just my personal experience is when I have had youth, young people, work for me or work with me in jobs, and they have had no previous jobs and they're in their early 20s, mid 20s, their work ethic tends to not be nearly as good. I've noticed they tend to call in sick more often. They don't do a good job. They complain more. And when I've had to lead them, they're a lot harder to lead. And it's really hard because they don't get that early experience when they're the young, excited 15, 16-year-old kid just going to work and making some money and learning the, the skills of working, customer service, getting up, being on time, all these skills, it's a good, safe place, as it were, to learn these things. And if you don't learn them, it can really hurt you later in life. And I've seen it over and over again. But again, it's not across the board. I've seen people come in. They've never had a job day in their life. Come in, they're 20-some-odd years old. But they're hard workers because whatever reason, they worked with their dad or, or something like that. And they came and they can start working right away. So, yeah, it's not 100%. And again, this is just my personal experience, but I have seen it and I've heard people complain about it as well. So yeah, we want to get people in to low-paid jobs to learn the trade. So yeah, that's a good thing. And that's, again, another consequence of having a minimum wage at all and especially jacking it up really high where you absolutely have to have the most vital employees be the ones that, not the most vital, but the employees that you do hire be very competent because you don't have the time or to or the resources to take the time to train them up for six months a year to get them to that really high speed and you can well you'll have less employees too so you can't have multiple employees kind of balance load out a little bit so you can have more un more un inexperienced employees to work for you so they all can work work together so yeah my early jobs, my early job at the arcade, working at a ski resort, all these taught me a lot of the basic skills that I needed to get by in life. 
And I'm very glad I started working when I was 14 and a half years old. As soon as I could legally work, I got a job. I was working. I was busing tables. I was learning how to do cook, cooking in the kitchen, working really hard, getting up early in the morning. That's what I learned. When I was 14. I was excited. It's a lot easier to be excited about a busboy job at 14 and a half years old than it is as a 20-year-old. doesn't work out that well. And I've seen people get stuck in dead-end jobs because they stuck to minimum wage jobs. And, yeah, that's not good for them in the long run. And it's not good for other people. I actually had a guy that I worked with who got mad at me because I didn't know how to fried the french fries right actually followed the packet's instructions but he was really upset and he told me i've been cooking french fries for 35 years and his job was a busboy at a ski resort he was in his mid 40s to early 50s and he was working as a busboy at minimum wage at a ski resort i'm sure there's more to the story than that but yeah not a good place to be when you're 40 uh another Unintended result is that employers that are less unscrupulous, instead of hiring people legally, they'll just hire people illegally. They'll just hire them under the table, but pay them lower wages. They won't pay them pay taxes. They won't pay benefits. And this hurts low wage employees. This hurts your average person because it drives on the job market. It the taxes don't go back into the city, don't go back into the government. And, of course, the person working for them is scared to speak up. If they get paid really, really low wages, it basically turns it into indentured servitude or nearly slave labor. This is not good. This is pretty bad. So you got can't you can't incentivize hiring people illegally and not paying them. Not good. And lastly, a national, especially national minimum wage, does not take into consideration the different costs of living in different cities, states, and regions. One city, $15 an hour may not nearly be enough, and another, it may be way more than enough. You can't decide at a national or even at a state level, really, what the wage should be because individual cities, individual neighborhoods even, have different costs of living. Everything's different. You can't just sit flat out and say, hey, Fifteen dollars an hour is great. Okay, great for who? Some places I've seen, you can buy a house for fifty thousand dollars. That would be a mansion that you could barely afford at five million dollars. In other places, so you never know. Each each place is so different. You can't really just blanketly decide, hey, we're going to do a minimum wage because it works everywhere the same. No, it doesn't work. So, as you can tell, I'm not very excited about a national minimum wage at all, let alone a minimum wage hike. Now, the ugly. Minimum wage has a very, very ugly, despicable, evil secret. The minimum wage has racist origins. Yeah. That's right. I just said minimum wage was a racist institution put forth to push people of color, women, and the disabled out of the job market. Before minimum wage was instituted, 
people of color had a slightly lower rate of unemployment than white people. This changed, and then drastically so in 1967, when the minimum wage on farming jobs was instituted. All of a sudden, they were supposed to be paid a dollar a day, whereas most of the people that were working these jobs were people of color making $3.50 a week, which is actually, again, decent for the time. Because remember, pretty fifty a week sounds like very low money for us now, but minimum wage went up to a dollar a day. That's only seven dollars a week, so it's it wasn't like a huge difference. But that was almost double what these people were paying. So what happened? They started automating the process, and they basically priced out all the people that were willing to work those jobs, which was mostly people of color, and they lost their jobs. So in, when these minimum wage laws were instituted, it turned low race-based wages, which was bad, into something worse, which was race-based unemployment. Out of the frying pan into the fire, both were bad, but it was even worse to kick them out of the job market altogether. Now, here's a quote. This quote was in, from 1912. Give an idea. The minimum wage will protect the white Australians' standard of living from the individual competition of colored races, particularly of the Chinese. That was Arthur Holcomb of Harvard University, a member of the Massachusetts Minimum Wage Commission, speaking approvingly of Australia's minimum wage legislation in 1912. That's from the book uh, Eugenics and Economics in the Progressive Era. That's harsh. And there's lots and lots and lots of quotes, very similar quotes. You just go do a Google search, racist roots of minimum wage, and you'll find pages and pages and pages of ample material that shows that minimum wage was designed to push the minorities out of the job market. And some people even wanted this to happen so that it would die off completely. This is very, very racist. This is absolutely horrible. And this is the root of the minimum wage. There was a lot of racism behind there. There was a lot of people who wanted to push out the low-cost minority labor and push them out completely. And that's what they did. And they were successful at it. Go look it up. This is not just me. It's not just one person. There's a lot of data on this. So go check it out. Not great. Now, I'm already gone pretty long, so I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to keep diving into the racism because I could keep going. That could be a whole podcast just on that. I'm not going to do that right now, though. Go look it up. Don't just take my word for it. But minimum wage has a really, really dark, dark, evil past. Go take a look. Not just me. Go take a look. Now, let's wrap up here. That was the, the ugly. So, let's look at some points here. Most people do not work minimum wage jobs as their sole source of income. And if they do, they're not needing the income. I.e., college students that just have a side job to help pay for school and or 
teenagers that are working to get the experience or people that need it to boost extra income or additional income so it's not the sole source of income. So that's a pretty important thing. Another thing is most people do not stay in minimum wage jobs indefinitely. Most people move on from that job to a new job or they get promoted to a higher position and or they get a raise, etc. They they don't stay in minimum wage. That's the first entry level. I can't remember the last time I worked as an entry level minimum wage employee. Even when I went into a different job that was also a minimum wage job, say working as a gas station tenant, I was paid over minimum wage because I had experience from before, so I was able to get a higher pay at a job that would otherwise be minimum wage. So you don't stay at minimum wage for very long. And I actually knew growing up, my mom babysit this kid. This guy would come over once or twice a week at night, and we'd play with this kid, me and my brothers. We had a great time. He had fun. We had fun. We became great friends. My mom babysat him to help this lady out, and it was great. Why was my mom babysitting and helping out this lady? Well, this lady was a single mom. She was working at McDonald's. She had fortunately worked her way up into management, but still McDonald's management doesn't make a lot of money because she was a single mom. And she was going to night school. And she got help from her community, the church, her friends, family. And we helped babysit him while she went to night school. She got her RN, her nursing degree, went, became a nurse, and is absolutely fine now. No problems. And the kid grew up, and the kid's a great guy. He's an adult, young man, has kids, and is no having no problems. So it was just a temporary thing. A lot of people who do find themselves in that minimum wage job just to feed the family, it's just a momentarily struggle. And yeah, it's rough, but I think that friends and family and their community, church, etc., can do a much better job meeting that need than the government. Just saying, it's from what I've seen, that, yeah, she had some government assistance too. She did. So... That was part of it, but government assistant combined with everything else got her past there. So it's just a snapshot. A minimum wage job is just a startup job, entry job, and it starts. It's just a start there. It's just a start. So, you know, it's you go past that point. And another thing, when it comes to poverty and people in the States, what I've seen and what I've experienced and I've done, most people who are in trouble financially, are in trouble financially because they make bad choices with their money. Now, when I was at my worst financially, when I was struggling to pay rent, when I had bill collectors calling all the time and things were really, really bad, I was making over minimum wage. Matter of fact, I was making over minimum wage in one full-time job and two part-time jobs. And my wife had two full-time jobs at the same time. So between the two of us, we were working five jobs and we still could barely make the rent. We were in huge debt. We had taken out payday loans, the worst, one of the worst possible products, debt products. It was bad. This is again why I talk about Dave Ramsey and debt being bad and getting control of your life. We did the Dave Ramsey total uh, financial peace university course. And again, Back to that book, The Total Money Makeover. If you're struggling financially, 
Don't be looking for government to raise the minimum wage. Go check out that book. You can get it for free. Total Money Makeover. It can help you get control of your finances. I mean, we were making a decent amount of money. I think we were clearing something nearly 45000 48000 a year. Working all these jobs, working ourselves to tears, working ourselves raw to the bone, falling asleep on the job. And we were barely making ends meet. And it was beyond, we were already making 2 3 $4 an hour above minimum wage, and we still could not do it. And, it, and we were in virtual poverty, but not because of minimum wage. It was because of our own bad decisions. I remember one time when all we had for dinner was rice and a package of just add water gravy mix. That was our lowest of the low, and we are making over minimum wage. So, yeah, things can be there. Actually, that we weren't making very much money. They were making below minimum on that one, that one week. But we still barely struggled by our own bad decisions. Now. What do I think should be done with the national minimum wage? I think, personally, minimum wage should be abolished. Uh, I don't think it would hurt the economy. It wouldn't kill jobs. It wouldn't increase jobs. And people might think I'm crazy for saying we shouldn't have a minimum wage. What would people do? Well, I live in Norway. And Norway is a country without a minimum wage. And yet the wages are still very high. The wages are set mostly by unions. The, I can't remember what it's called, like a standard, not a standard pay, but the, there's a term for the union pay. I can't think of it, but they're well, prevailing wage, that's it. So there's prevailing wage here. There's private organizations. You negotiate with your employee. And the average minimum wage, not minimum wage, but the average wages here start off about $15 an hour U.S. I'm, I'm, I'm translating this a little bit and goes up to about $19 or $20 an hour starting off. And there's no minimum wage. There's no minimum wage law here. I I have Norwegians argue with me. They thought they were minimum wage laws, but I actually had to find this out because I hired somebody I had to call to find out what that is. So, yeah, you don't need a minimum wage to have an economy work and have high wages. You don't. So you can get rid of it. But knowing that that's not going to happen anytime soon in the U.S. and most likely it's going to go up. What do you do as an employer? What do you do as a bootstrapper? It's, you have to plan ahead. You have to, first of all, pay attention to what's going on in politics because if you don't pay attention, you might get blindsided. You might all of a sudden get a letter saying, oh, by the way, now you have to pay your all your employees $15 an hour, and if you haven't been paying attention, you can go bankrupt right quick. If you don't see this coming, you have to see this coming ahead of time. You have to make plans. You have to have things ready in advance so you don't get knocked off your feet. So you have to pay attention there. That's one of the first and foremost things. Second is, you know, you really, in my opinion, I really don't think you should pay your employees minimum wage at all to begin with. Not pay them minimum wage, not pay them below minimum wage. What I'm saying is, you should pay them competitive wages. You see, if there's no minimum wage, as I mentioned before, you can pay competitive wages. And if you're an entrepreneur, a bootstrapper, and you want to start hiring an employee, pay someone more than minimum wage. Pay them what you think they would be worth, how much the most you can pay them. Get them excited about working for you. Pay them well. Take good care of them. Provide value for them. 
and they will take better care of you. Matter of fact, In-N-Out Burger does this. Its employees already have a higher than minimum wage pay. Now, minimum wage is going up in California, so they'll probably raise their wages as well. But when minimum wage was something like $10 an hour in California, In-N-Out Burger was averaging about $13 an hour wages. Their managers make an average of six figures a year. They are highly recommended as an employer. About 90% of their employees recommend others that work there. They're a great company. They provide great value for the customers. They provide great value for their employees. And overall, it works really, really well. If you go check out some articles on In-N-Out, they really take care of their employees, their managers. They pay them well. They attract the best people. And because they attract the best people and pay competitive wages, even as a dishwasher, yeah, people want to work for them. And their wages go up faster than national minimum wage. Why? Because they take care of their people and they try to provide competitive wages. And I think that's the best model. If everyone did this, if all companies had to compete to get employees to come work for them, if they had to compete, they would have to raise minimum wage up in order to help bring people in. They would have to wait, not minimum wage, they have to raise their bottom wages up. And if you know you have to do this, if you know you have to compete, you plan that into your company. You can plan for a raise of cost of living. You can plan that in. You can build that into your into your planning on your sales pricing, on your marketing, how much money you need to make. You can adjust for that and you can move and flow with that. And a sudden increase will not crush you because you'll have planned increases because you'll have to plan increases because you want to attract the best people to work for you. So. As a bootstrapper, as an employer, as leaders, always try to take the best care of your employees. If you go back, this is nothing new for me. Give your employees value. Pay them as much as humanly possible. Make sure they're happy. Take great care of them. If you go back on my podcast on paying your employees, I always say pay very, very well. Make people think you're crazy for paying them that much. And you'll get great people to work for you. And then minimum wage considerations won't even come into it. But because the government is trying to do such a huge spike in minimum wage costs, you need to take a look because that's such a huge jump. A lot of employers might be caught off guard if you don't see it coming. And if you're listening to my podcast and didn't know about this, and you have employees that are at or just above minimum wage, You need to go take a look at your finances and start planning now because odds are current government, they might actually be able to raise minimum wage here pretty quickly. And you have to be ready for it. Anyway, I've been going for a long time today. I hope you found that informative. It wasn't as entertaining as I was hoping to make it, but tough subject. Um, See you next week. Talk later. Bye-bye. If you found value in this content, please leave a comment and give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform you use. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most other podcast platforms. If you would like to support us, you can check out our sponsor links, or if you would like to directly support the show, you can donate or join our membership program at buymeacoffee.com forward slash bootstrap. Of course, it really helps when you share these podcasts as well. 
If you would like to interact with me and other bootstrappers and leaders, you can join our O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast Facebook group. You have been listening to the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast and Athos Business Solutions Podcast. For our companion podcast, the Athos Business Podcast, hosted by Jason St. Clair, past episodes, and related blogs, check out our website at www.athos.com, which is www.athoz.com or atheoz.com. Until next time, I've been your friendly neighborhood entrepreneur, Isaiah O'Connor.